0: This episode is brought to you by Mocas, premium quality loafer shoes for father and son. Find matching pairs of stylish, high quality shoes for the special men and boys in your life at mocascom forward slash is spelled M-O-C-K-A-S. You'll love the father and son combos at mocascom forward slash Jewish Latin Princess Episode 75, Ginny Milgram, CryptoJews expert, genealogist, and author of Pyre to Fire. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer, Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. How hard is it to get governments like Spain, Portugal, Mexico to agree to digitize their Inquisition records, records that retell a history that has been buried in vaults and unspoken about for hundreds of years? Why do it? And why would any Jewish woman in her right mind take on the task to try to negotiate with these countries to get this done? You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess, I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today I'm back with Jeannie Milgram. Jeannie was with me in episode 12, one of my most downloaded episodes, so if you're new to Jewish Latin Princess podcast and you haven't heard that one, it is definitely a must and it will give you a lot of context for our conversation today. Let's just say that today's interview is part two of that episode. Today Jeannie updates us on the progress she's made since she was here last, particularly regarding getting Inquisition records restored and digitized. She talks about DNA testing, how it works, and why it is important to do if you're on the search for your family's history. Jeannie was recently awarded the prestigious medal of the four Sephardic synagogues from Jerusalem and she has a new book out, Pyre to Fire, a historical novel which traces the lives of two women, one in Spain living as a Jew in hiding back in the days of the Inquisition and one a Cuban-American Roman Catholic in Miami. It may be a historical fiction but it's really 85% reality according to Jeannie. The reality of her family and her own. And soon her new cookbook will be out. What's in the cookbook? Adaptations of the recipes that her grandmothers passed down throughout the generations, replete with the rich, but unspoken about family history. Always fascinating and inspiring, here's Jenny Milgram. And please do yourself a favor, if you haven't heard episode 12, make sure you download it because you will understand much of what we talk about today as Jeannie shared with us then how she was able to trace her unbroken maternal Jewish lineage back to 1405 to pre-Inquisition Spain and Portugal. Here's the fascinating Jenny Milgram. <laughs> Jeannie Milgram, welcome back to Jewish Latin Princess. How are you? I'm doing great, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on again. So much has happened since you were here last, back in episode, I don't know, twelve. It's a long time, but it actually isn't such a long time. It's a little over a year, yet you've published another book, Pyre to Fire. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's in English and to Fire and in Spanish
1: de la Pira al Fuego.
0: Amazing. I can't wait to delve into your new work, but before Before we even go there, I know on top of that, there's also been amazing updates in your work this summer in particular, you were very active when you were last here, you told us that you were almost at the cusp of closing a deal to get funding for the digitization process of the Inquisition records in countries like Spain, Mexico, Portugal, Peru, etc. And I think that that has progressed significantly. Tell us us about what's happened. That
1: absolutely has progressed. We partnered up with a firm in Israel, um, my heritage, who is a firm that does uh, the work online of uh, uh, having records available for people searching for um, their lineages. And they are funding the digitization of the records. And this summer, I was once again at the Madrid, the Lisbon, as well as for the first time at the Canary Island uh, files. In the Canary Islands, it's the, the last uh, kid on the block. So for the Canary Islands, they are going to meet at The end of September, I believe, next week, and they will let us know if they're on board to let us digitize their records. You know, it's not simple. This has been hidden for five hundred years or more. And nobody wants to be the person that says, Oh, under so and so, the records were digitized. They're not seeing it as a as an honor, let's say. They're just seeing it like, Oh my gosh, how am I gonna go down in history? Uh, So it's um, not like
0: a, it's not a, let's just say, they don't see it as a positive undertaking.
1: (laughs) No, no, which is why it's been so difficult. I mean, it's been, we've been going in there now for about three years to some of these archives. And, you know, we've had change of directors of the archives, and they keep shuffling on to the new director. Mm. And no one wants to be that person that goes down in having done it. However, in Madrid... We have received the contracts for digitizing. They are currently in Israel. They're being reviewed. So we have made incredible strides with Madrid. We could say, you know, they're the ground zero. They really are. Right, right, right. Now, as far as Lisbon is concerned, um, they're all on board to get this done because the only thing they have digitized is Lisbon, and those are available on the Torre do Tombo website but that's such a scant amount compared to the thousands that are available so basically with Lisbon the records were in tatters and uh, we have had a pre uh, let's say a, a pre approval from the government of Norway who needs to preserve some history in the EU countries to get funding to restore these records before they get digitized. So hopefully that will come through very soon.
0: That is incredible. So wait, the government of Norway is going to support you in getting funding for the restoration of the documents of the pre-inquisition Portugal. Yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) Is this Hashem's hand or what? what? Yeah, that is like so weird. But you know, we're very excited about that. And um, also, I plan in December to go to Goa, India, where the long hand of the Portuguese Inquisition was present for 300 years. Yeah,
0: many people are, are not about, aware of
1: that, though. Right, so we have about 17,000 cases in uh, Goa. So right now, I'm like all set to go. And I'm just waiting for confirmation that, A, somebody will talk to me Mm -hmm. because it's very hard to get through the first time. So I'm actually waiting to have somebody say, "Okay, you know, come and I'll talk to you. It's very far away. So, you know, Mexico, we are uh, everything's a green light except the government changed. So the director changes. It's an appointed position. So we're waiting until October when the new director gets. So each one has its, uh, each one has its, uh, little thing we have to get around. But basically we're good to go with a lot of these countries and, uh, we've got the right players on board and we've got the right team on board.
0: Who, uh, tell us a little bit. How does this conversation go? Like, what what did it, or play it for us? Let's say Madrid. You finally convince them, and now there's a contract in place. What was that? What are those
1: conversations like? Well, <laughs> those conversations are not easy. Those conversations are generally up to now. The three times I've been in Madrid, it's a room full of people. And, you know, when you're in a room full of people, you never really know who you have in the room. Mm-hmm. You, know, some, you know, maybe the director gives you his card and maybe somebody else, but you don't really know who's sitting in the room. So, so it's you know, them and you. <laughs> and it's them
0: and me. and well, Telling them about Michael their goes, not such nice history.
1: <laughs> right. So my husband, Michael, always goes with me. But there's always an expert. There's always someone at those tables knows how many records, where are they, what state they're in, Mm -hmm. you know, and they know exactly what is going on. What is interesting to me is that in Spain, they're owned by um, the government via the Archivo Histórico Nacional. In Portugal, they're owned by the government, by the Archivo Torre do Tombo, as well as by the Catholic Church. They're owned by the mayor of each city that had an Inquisition tribunal. So in that meeting, I had to sit with the church, the mayors, the government, the the cultural minister, the minister of education, and kind of talk them into this, and it worked. And uh, in the Canary Islands, they're privately owned by three hundred people or four hundred people that um, bought them back from the British a couple hundred years ago.
0: Why would these people buy them back? They were historians. Like, what was their interest?
1: They were the members of the archive in mm-hmm. Gran Palma, and you know, they uh, these are positions that belong to the different families. In Gran Palma, and they just decided to bring their history back. So, when you- so in Mexico, they're owned by the government. So
0: Ginny, when you convince them, what is the most compelling part of your conversation or of your argument or your presentation to them? Is it from a political angle? Is, you know, that this would be something like what, what what do you think of everything that you've told them? What do you think is it that makes them finally click and kind of turn around and you see the resistance melting?
1: It depends on the on the particular government. But like anything else, once you've got one on board, the other ones don't want to be left behind of this global, um, let's say, uh, this global work that's Mm -hmm, being done mm -hmm. so they don't want to be you know what is it now in popular fear of missing out so they don't (laughs) want to out right so the minute that you say okay like I had to with Portugal I've got nothing else to talk about and I start like walking away it's like "Wait, wait 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 come back so I think now that we have so many others on board and it's it's gotten to the point where um it's gotten to to the point where um, it's uh, going forward, then you can't miss out. So the other one, some of them are making money by having these records online. So like Canary Island. So they wanted to be assured that they would still be able to charge people to access them. Mm-hmm. And some of the like Spain, wants to make sure that nobody gets charged. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like you have to see what they want and then go with what they need. And the The first
0: one that you secured was Madrid. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's the first contract that we've gotten. It's being reviewed. And those contracts should be signed after the holidays. Yes.
0: Amazing, amazing. And I understand that MyHeritage is, among others, um, one of the companies who does DNA testing. And I I heard you once say that um, it is very important for people who are um, suspicious of their lineage, or curious that they might have some ancestry connected to pre-Inquisition Spain or Portugal, to do DNA testing. Um, what Absolutely. does that entail? And,
1: and I do, yeah, I do recommend a lot. My Heritage. Um, they're the new new kid on the block, but by as far as not as far as uh, doing records online, but they're the new kid on the block with the DNA. And the reason that I think that right now they are the best thing going is because being the new kid on the block, they have the latest technology. As a matter of fact, they are the only company that breaks down a Jewish lineage into Sephardic, uh, Mizrahi, Ashkenazi, Ethiopian. So they have the ability to break up the Jewish DNA. And they have millions of users. So I really think that it's a great way to start, and then once you do your DNA with them, then you are able to upload it to a whole series of other websites like GedMatch or DNA Land, which it's a free upload and compare your DNA to all the other companies. But I like starting with uh, my heritage because it's, I I find that it's very. Um, it's very state-of-the-art. It's the latest.
0: And Jeannie, is the this in lieu of trying to shape a family tree, or is this supposed to complement that
1: process? It A lot of people are trying to do it instead of, but the only way to uh, compare is to do it in addition to. Because what happens with families that intermarry, like mine, Uh, Converso families that intermarry or uh, Jewish families or royal families, just families that intermarry, the relationships that are given to you by any of these testing companies appear closer than they really are. So for example, I'll get a match that'll say that it's my second cousin when it could really be my fifth or sixth. Mm -hmm. So you have to match this up to paperwork and that's the hard part. People don't like to do the paperwork and it's expensive, which is one of the reasons that we're doing this whole thing with trying to get those Inquisition documents up online. Did because there's a lot of books just before you and I were talking, this uh, Sephardi Sobrenomes, it's the the number one book that has the Sephardic surnames in there. But what it's not showing are the names of the conversos it's showing the names of the people that left spain right you told me that right. in
0: our last interview you said that that's why na- you can't really do it by the names you can't say oh i have a jewish last name that's
1: not really so accurate right correct and uh, or a name used by conversos like um Beres, you know, or, right Beres, Montaña, or those topographical names that we know were used by the conversos but You know, they were changing their names so, so much. So we're hoping that we will be able to track the diaspora of the crypto Jews. We are hoping that we will come up with this new slate of names, so to speak, as soon as we can digitize all of this.
0: In fact, when you were doing your lineage, if I remember correctly, your last names, both from your mother and father's side, they, they would have gotten you nowhere,
1: Right. Both of them are very common. My dad is Medina, my mom is Ramos Ramos, and super common. Right. And both converso style names, but you know, where do you go with that? You have to match it up to a Jew from the 1400s hmm. to be able to go with that. Now, what DNA does? For example, you're going to get your DNA back when it, when you order it. You get it back, and then it'll tell you if you start seeing things like. You're matching Jews in Morocco, you're matching Jews in Algeria, you're matching Jews in Israel, then obviously, whether you find your lineage or not, by paper, you know that there's a Jewish lineage
0: mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So did you do one? When, when, when we were talking uh, a while ago about your work that you wrote about in your fif- My 15 Grandmothers in your first book, had you done the DNA during that process, the DNA testing?
1: Yes, I had done the DNA, and um, people like me, we find very few matches. Uh, just a couple of nights ago, I went into DNA land, and my husband, who's an Ashkenaz Jew for the last 500 years, he had 10,000 matches, and I put my mom's in there, no matches found. I put me there, no matches found, and my dad, no matches found. It's like, give me a break. Because why? Because normally, if you're Hispanic, and you're sitting in a church somewhere, you're not thinking. This isn't in your head. Oh, uh, let me do my DNA. Uh-huh. It's, you're, you're doing it when you're searching for something, but... Uh, There's a random person that might be searching, but in general, it's not like the Jews. People are searching for the Holocaust, uh, you know, they're searching. Right. People like me are searching. But in general, you're Cuban or Puerto Rican, Hispanic, they're not thinking about this. So hence, they haven't tested. Hence, there's no matches. Right, right. So the Pied of Fire, the book, is very interesting because the information that I found in the in the all the files when I found the family, that's the information that was used to write prior to fire. So I followed closely the movement of my family. I followed them with their occupations, even though it's historical fiction, because I had to embellish a little bit, but it's about 85% accurate how mm. I followed the family what they did for a living, what village to village, and also in the book It keeps going back and forth to me in Miami as a little girl, and that is taking what happened in history, how it affected that little girl growing up Catholic in Miami. So it goes back and forth. So that's why about 85% of the book is correct. It's uh, nonfiction, but I had to make it historical fiction.
0: Wow. So would it be fair to say that the fire, we're not talking about the fire of the stake, but the fire of the soul of that girl who was searching? Correct. Correct. Amazing. Amazing. Now I have to get my hands on And I'm glad you
1: got that because normally I don't explain it and I just hope people get it.
0: (laughs) Okay, so we said fire was the fire of the soul. It's it's making reference to the fire of the soul. What about pyre? I had to Google that and um, just just, what does it mean? Share with listeners.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the pyre is um, the stake that the people were being burned at In the Inquisition, when you were being burned at the stake, that is also known as a pyre.
0: Mm.
1: Um, So it's pyre to fire. Now, interestingly enough, Sometimes, and this is a little gruesome, but, but uh, you know, that is our history, so I will share it nonetheless. Um, if at the last minute you didn't want to go through the agonizing fire, you could choose to convert and say that, yes, you did believe in, in the Catholic uh, beliefs at the last minute, and then they would cut off your head and then burn you. <gasps> so, yes, yeah, so as gruesome as it is, it was, uh, they thought... Um, The Inquisitors thought it was a merciful way to be able to burn you without the pain. So those were the pyres and then the fire in the Wow!
0: How many descendants do they estimate, descendants of Jews, are there in Latin America, do they think? Well,
1: in the world, um, Dr. Sergio de la Pergola, who is the top demographer in the world right now, he lives in Israel, and he recently went out there with the number of 50 million 50. That is an incredible number. Yeah, it was an incredible number and I was surprised because he is very well known. He's a very serious person and professor in, in his field and I was blown away. That doesn't mean that 50 million people want to come back. Right. That
0: just means that 50 people
1: 50 million people have these roots.
0: Amazing. Amazing. And it's important it's 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 important that we tie in this into the work that you're doing um, exposing this reality to the world because there might be people who want to know even if they don't want to become Jewish, correct? Do you ever find
1: that? Correct. And and I think that Israel needs friends and uh, we need friends as Jews around the world. So if somebody in Ecuador or in Lima or in Bolivia, feels that they're connected to the Jewish people by an ancestry, even if they remain Catholic, that's all we would want, because then they would be a friend of the Jew because they come from Jews. Mm -hmm. So we would want people to acknowledge their ancestry. And a lot of the work that I do, which is speaking constantly, just writing and speaking and writing and speaking, is to get awareness so that people will say, OK, you know, I'm descending or I've got the name of a converso, or I've got the name of a Jew. And then they bring we they bring us closer to them and to the Jewish people.
0: Right, right, right. And back to Pyre to Fire, your new book, was this did you just write this, or am i am I correct in suspecting that you had been working on this for a while?
1: This was my first book, uh-huh. actually yeah, this was my first original book, and it had a working title of "Who Will Sit Shiva for me mm. and yes. <laughs> and And what happened is, after a while, I was like compelled to write the story of the fifteen grandmothers, and that one came out and then, how I found so kind of time took up with me with how I found my fifteen grandmothers. I went back to Pire to Fire with its working title, and my adult children were very upset with me, and I tried to explain that sitting Shiva is a Jewish, because they are not practicing Jews today. So I try to explain that sitting Shiva is a Jewish um, ritual, Mm -hmm. and that chances are they would not be doing this ritual, but they were very upset because they took it to me going out into the world and saying that they would not mourn for me. Mm. So then came fire to fire, (laughs) So yes, it was not the original that I tried to do. Who will say Kaddish for me? That fell under the same lines. So (laughs) we had a departure. So my my kids really got upset. So that's why we went this route.
0: You know, this speaks to the reality that I think you mentioned this once, but it's important to re re say it uh, of how hard it is for people who have gone through a conversion it's not all roses it's very emotional and it's a very lonely road um even if it doesn't seem like it even if you have family and even if you have a community it can be very very lonely especially it at is. times like that
1: um super lonely it's lonely on rosh Hashanah. it's lonely in Pesa. it's lonely it's it's you know yesterday when i finished uh the fast of yom kippur I said to my husband, this is the 30th time I've done this. Mm. And I have been Jewish almost equally the same time that I was growing up Catholic. So right now I'm at a 50-50 stage. And of course, since my younger years were Catholic, My adult thinking years have mostly been Jewish. So it's very difficult. It was difficult to do. It was difficult to transition. It was difficult to, to come over and to continue to have a great big old Catholic family like I do. Mm-hmm. and i i live a traditional lifestyle so everything in my home every holiday all the food i i it's it's very hard for people to do this it's even hard if you're not going the full monty orthodox let's say it's still hard uh, on the families it's very difficult so it's not for the faint of heart but if your soul is burning then there's no other there's no other alternative honestly
0: My sons love dressing up like their father. Does that ever happen in your household? Clothing in the same style and colors has been a little bit easier to find. The hard part has always been looking for shoes, until Mokas came along. Mocas is a premium loafer shoe brand offering matching pairs for fathers and sons. How fun is that? Mocas are not only comfortable and super stylish, but they're designed and made with kits in mind. That means durability. How's that for a perfect shoe? Every pair of moccas is handmade with beautiful, high quality leather and flexible soles, striking the perfect balance between the look of a loafer and the comfort of a moccasin. I love the idea of the men in my life wearing beautifully designed, comfortable, durable shoes that are also affordable. Oh, and if this wasn't enough, Moccas is committed to transparency, ensuring ethical manufacturing practices and fair trade with the workers who help bring this beautiful shoe to market. The company will donate a portion of Moccas profits to Souls for Souls. Moccas are available in four beautiful. Beautiful colors. I'm partial to the gorgeous blue with red sole, but there's also a striking ruby red limited edition available through Mocha's Kickstarter campaign. You can choose Mocha's for the men and boys in your life at mochas.com forward slash and take advantage of the early bird discount on its Kickstarter campaign. Mocha's is spelled M-O-C-K-A-S. Whether it's a pair for one of the men in your life or all the men in your life, choose quality, style and comfort at mochas.com forward slash well, on a lighter note, I want to congratulate you because also this summer you were awarded the very prestigious
1: medal of the four
0: Sephardic synagogues from Jerusalem. This
1: is unbelievable. Oh my gosh, that one floored me. I was giving the keynote speech in Zamora, uh-huh. which is the region of my family, and all of a sudden, the president of the Sephardic uh, Council of Jerusalem got up and he starts talking about awarding the medal, and I was still sitting on the dais, and I thought this has nothing to do with me. I, did, oh, you're I didn't so imagine cute. it. <laughs> I want I have wanted it for years, but I just did Aww. not imagine to be honest that anyone anywhere was really you know, I worked so hard on this. I didn't think anyone was paying attention. Paying attention. attention. <laughs> right. Well they were <laughs> So that was one of the biggest accolades. Truly, truly so exciting to, to be awarded the medal. And you know, now, um, shortly I'm having a cookbook that's being published, uh, by Geffen Publishing in Israel. And it will be the cookbook of the 15 grandmothers. And these are recipes that I found in the luggage and things in my mother's house that came from, that came from way back. So uh, all of these recipes are being, uh, are being, they were compiled, put together, and they will be uh, put together in a cookbook uh, published by Geffen Publishing.
0: Amazing. And I'm proud to say that I had a little bit of my grain salt of salt in the book.
1: <laughs> you did. You made one of the recipes for me and I had women around the world making the recipes. So I'm very excited. And I must I tell you that there was a, another company in the United States, uh, Jewish, very well known, that I had sent the book to and they wanted me to take out the references to the Christmas tree and all of this thing, which is my past and my family's present, and... As, as big and important a publisher, um, I, I, I was not able to do that. And uh, I think that Geffen was wonderful in understanding the importance of all of this in a family like mine.
0: Mm, wow, that's that's incredible. That's very powerful to hear because, yeah, it's, a, it's very sensitive. And I could see from one side why one publishing company would want it out, but I could see why it's important to the narrative of how these recipes came about.
1: Right. Well, if my grandmother used to make a particular recipe, recipe and put it in tins and put it under the Christmas tree every year for years and her mother did the same thing then then I cannot
0: dishonor
1: my family that way correct wow wow Jeannie amazing but I'm very excited about this when does it come out um they told me about eight months so I'm really right now it's also being translated I generally have my books translated in Costa Rica and uh, so it's being translated. So I'm going to try to have the Spanish and English at the same time.
0: Very, very, very cool. Now, Jeannie, you walked, you've walked, you walked the streets that your ancestors walked several times, I believe, since you first went on that yes. life, life-changing life trip back to Fermosaya, Spain, which you recount in your first book, My 15 Grandmothers. You've re- even recently took a tour, uh, took some people on a tour of this. Uh, yeah, right over there? Yes, I
1: did. I took about 50 people.
0: And, and and you know for a fact, uh, this has been verified, historical records you have, that 40 members of your family were tried by the Inquisition, including many women who died at the stake for practicing Judaism and hiding. Um, sure. When you walk in these towns like Fermose and other areas of Spain and Portugal, and you ask these questions and you look around the town um, what what do you feel from the people what what is what is the feeling that you get is it apathy is it cooperation is it is there a hatred like what is your feeling when you're in these places and you're looking and they're are they sharing openly are
1: they being like give us an insight of what it's like so initially and I started traveling there maybe 10 15 years ago initially it was a total closed book. It was we don't know what you're talking about. There were never any Jews here. And if there were Jews then they were made Christian and so they were only Christian. So even the um the head of the of the library and the archives in Zamora, he shut the door in my face because he told me there were never any Jews there. What? And I said, It's it's historically he said they were made Christians and after that they were Catholics so there were never any Jews here and he shut the door in my face. And um it, it didn't matter. A couple of years later I was very happy he was fired and, and my, you know, my genealogist went in there many times. But so in the beginning it was very, very difficult. Then as I started going again and again and the mayor let me hold a whole conference in one of the big historical, um, monuments there. And I told them about their history. Now, when I go, they're always showing me a something like a stove in their home, or they're showing me a coin, or they're showing me a mark in their basement. And they want now to verify. And a lot of these are on my Facebook page. And they're now very much embracing this past. Mm -hmm. And wanting me to verify that their coin, like one had a coin with the Star of David, and it ended up that it was a Moroccan coin, um, but he was sure it was a Jewish coin, and they're getting all excited. In Portugal, they're with the program. In Portugal, these little villages have all been visited, and uh, you see the little old ladies sitting on their stool pointing to the signs of where the synagogues were. So I think that the villages are starting to get with the program, at least in the west near the river.
0: Amazing. Why Why do you think... Why the difference? Why? What do you think that is? You mean
1: in the west in by the, the
0: river? And the attitudes between Portugal, the small towns in Portugal and... Uh, because North
1: I Spain. think that the small towns have... They haven't been changed much, so the stones are still there and the homes are still there. I have the address of the grandmother number 13 and her home is still there. So So basically, I think that there haven't been those changes that there were, like, let's say in Barcelona, or Mm -hmm. in Madrid, or in the bigger, huge cities here, people are still in touch with their past every day when they open their door, because it hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. And when I walk through the villages, um, not to sound strange, but I feel I feel the presence i I feel the stones. I can touch the stones. they're either hot, they're cold, they're warm, they're almost like talking to me i can and I don't talk about this too much, and I realize I'm saying it very publicly, but I feel vibrations where there may have been so let's say that I'll feel something and then I'll go research it and generally. Something did happen there.
0: Yes, if I recall, remember correctly, there was an incident where you and Michael were at a place and you both felt this very strange energy. And lo and behold, it was a place
1: where people were being burned, right? Right. No, it was a place in Coimbra where they had taken bodies from the Inquisition prison, anybody that was dying in the prison before they got to uh, to be burned, and they were throwing them over the fence. And I didn't know the history of the place when Michael and I got there. And we always take like a prayer book with us to say the prayer for the dead, the Kaddish, if we happen to come across a place that we feel. So we both were, and I was with a girlfriend also from Israel, and we all felt. So we started saying Kaddish in that place. Mm-hmm. And later we learned that it was a place where bodies had been thrown over the fence uh, into the trash uh, for centuries during the Inquisition. Wow. And obviously Jewish bodies. Wow. So
0: now that you see, I saw on Facebook that you saw your book in Firmosea, in your town where your Jewish ancestors lived, I think for something like 500 years, correct?
1: 523 years they lived there. My grandfather was born there and my mom lived there for nine years.
0: Amazing. All in hiding, practicing Judaism in hiding. Now that you... Well,
1: remember they were practicing in hiding, but we didn't really know it. The last couple hundred years, because mm. for all intents and purposes, they were Catholic.
0: Right, right. They were. They just had like a few little things here and there that they knew right, came a few from somewhere. Things.
1: But <laughs> when I saw that book in the window, yeah, how did you was, feel? Oh my gosh, it was like, oh my gosh, look at this over here. Like, like you can never. You know, and I, I remember in my head, I was saying to the grandmothers, I, I hope this makes you proud. Mm. And I certainly was proud. And, you know, I'm proud for my family and I'm proud to have been able to do this. It's, uh, it has been an incredible journey and it's by no means over. Uh, there's still so much to do and, and so much awareness to raise on this topic. And just let people understand when they meet somebody that claims to have these roots in their synagogue and and whether they have them or whether they don't have them, just by claiming it, they're trying to come closer to you and to Judaism and to the Jewish people. So it's not like, well, let me see your papers. No, I think they should all be embraced just for trying to get closer. Jeannie, you
0: were blessed, um, or rather your children, actually, through your work, um, in terms of finding out that they are Jewish, and, you know, at any time they could embrace that, that's just a reality that they have, and, you know, that's it is what it is. But... Um, not many or for many who will undergo this process of looking into their lineage and tracing it back and so on and so forth i suspect many will not be as lucky and as blessed as you were to find an unbroken lineage i mean they'll find out that they they had they they have that they are the descendants of crypto jews that there was crypto Jewish history in their ancestry, but at some point that gets all muffled and broken, uh, which would eventually require a conversion to Judaism by Jewish law on their part, right? Does that ever come up in your conversations with people that reality that maybe might be one uh, a little bit hard to accept?
1: Yes, it it definitely is. And um, the Sephardic rabbis believe do not believe in conversion at all. So if you are coming to a Sephardic rabbi with certain amounts of proof and, you know, in Sephardic communities, and they will accept your proof, even though it may not be like I had to do direct, 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 they will not accept you to convert, but they may accept you into the fold. That doesn't mean that if your children are going to want to marry a Jew that may not Subscribe to that particular belief, or maybe Ashkenaz, or or you want to move to Israel. Mm-hmm. You're going to need the full fledged thing. So I, I wish that there were norms uh, established for this because it would you know save people a lot of heartache if they go someplace and a rabbi says sure it's not a problem, but then it might be a problem for their children and grandchildren. Right down I mean, the I know road. In my case, yeah, my kid did not want to take on. Oh. Um the yoke of Judaism, but they know that they are Jewish. So um, according to the rabbi that had written the, the return for me in Israel, he said that they would have to do one mitzvah to be accepted to return. And the mitzvah could be as small as lighting candles on a Friday night, but they had to take it on. In other words, they didn't have to do a conversion, but they had to make an overt act to bring it into their lives.
0: Right. But that's because of the fact that they have been recognized as Jewish people because your lineage was not broken ever.
1: Correct. And yes, you are correct that it's very difficult. So with the work I'm trying to do with the inquisition files, I'm hoping that this will make all of this so much easier that people will be able to just come to this knowledge without having to hire somebody for years and years to dig it up in boxes. Because the minute the rabbis insist that you connect yourself to a Jew,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can't connect yourself to a Jewish cemetery, they don't exist, right. you can't connect yourself to anything but the Inquisition, unless maybe you're in the Southwest, where there are certain graves that are marked, but still in all, you know, in general, traditional rabbis will require that you connect yourself to a Jew. So this Inquisition, that's all we've got. That's all, really, really, that's all we have. So, yes, I think in the future, when we manage to get all this uploaded, it'll be so much easier for people to do what I have done. But then you have to take all of that and go to a Beit Din, a Jewish court in Israel, and they have to accept you Jew- as jewish and write a return right right and listen so you have to be able to follow that road all the way to the end you have to have a, a lot of you know perseverance to get this done right right but even if
0: even if a person at the end needs to, for whatever reason, convert, because at some point, they don't recognize it, or they say, you know, the lineage was broken, and you just have to Right. you right, know, right. at least I guess at least having the peace of mind that I'm not crazy, I was never crazy, you know, I, a little bit like you've told me before, you know, um, that that my yearning that came from from somewhere, it wasn't just like I was losing my mind. (laughs) Exactly. So yes,
1: so it's, the verification is always good, and I know people that are in the process of conversion. And right now, I have several people that are writing me. Some are from Seattle, and another one that's in North Florida, and there another one in New York, and they're in the process of conversion. And at the same time, they're in the process of finding that Jew in the tree mm. because that validates what they're doing, like you said. And like I've said, so but we all need that validity. We all want to find that Jew in the tree. And um, and it, it can be found. You don't have to go all the way like I did. But if you're in a conversion process and you just want that validity, it can come
0: Jeannie, we know that your message is to the Jewish world regarding those who want to get close to Judaism, one of embrace of empathy and understanding. But in addition to that, what would you Jeannie Milgram, a woman who is passionate about her Judaism, who loves it and treasures it, not just because of your family's history, but really regardless of it, what would you say to the Jews out there who are not yet as, you know, open about their Judaism in terms of, you know, embracing it so much, who maybe, you know, they show up here and there once or twice a year, it's like an afterthought, they don't find it relevant, necessarily, you who have seen the pain of your ancestors, and you've gone through your own pain, what would you say to inspire those people who still need a little bit of inspiration when it comes to their heritage? Well, I think
1: that, and, and and by the way, this is a question that a lot of different people ask me. And I think that the inspiration many times comes not from something that I say to a person specifically, but when I speak and I speak to crowds and, and they hear how someone is just clawing, clawing a dirt for something that was just, you know, they take for granted mm-hmm. and was given to them. And was given to them, you know, at birth without their even asking for it. And I think that that in and of itself is an inspiration. But I I also, the big message would be, don't take this for granted. You know, there are some of us that... You know, really had to work very hard for this, and you should not take this for granted at all. And, you know, who knows? They may lose their heritage because if they only go and freeze-dried Jews that only, you know, wake up on Rosh Hashanah, or only go to, you know, one time a year. So if you really, really want to have the continuity of the Jewish people going forward to the generations of your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, you have to do something to keep that flame alive now, so that by the time it gets to your great-grandchildren, at least they'll have, you know, a birthday candle size worth of a spark. So they have to work at it. Absolutely. Absolutely for their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren.
0: Beautiful. Don't take your Judaism for granted. Jenny Milgram, it's amazing. I am so proud of your work and I can't wait to hear what is coming next because I am sure it's going to be tremendous and we're going to keep having <laughs> a lot to talk about. Um, much, much success to you in the new year. We can get the bo- the new book in a- on Amazon, correct? Correct. All my books are available on Amazon. And you're going to let us know when the cookbook is out and we're going to keep updated Absolutely. on Facebook. You'll keep us updated but everything that's happening, I forgot to mention that now that you've taken this role, and you're working with, you know, solid funding, you're the director of the Converso Genealogy Project, um, right? Officially, correct? Yes. So I just before we wrap it up, I understand that people reach out to you all the time with questions on this, how, how are you managing that? Because that could get a little overwhelming.
1: It is overwhelming. But um... A couple of years ago, I gave a talk at a Chabad uh, in Boynton Beach and uh, after the Sabbath I sat down, I had stayed at the Rabbi's house and he had, he said to me, your work is exhausting and you can't continue doing this on your own, you need to do this the Chabad way. And I said, What do you what? What's said, a Chabad way? <laughs> he said, You need to appoint people in different places and train them to do what you're doing. And I've done that. So I've got a gentleman like up in upstate New York. I've got somebody down in Costa Rica. I've got another gentleman in Panama who have returned who come from these roots. So when they come to me from those places, I will generally send them to these other, uh, let's use the word Shalia, which is what Chabad uses. And I am not a Chabad person, but he was so wise. And and the next day I started.
0: Very smart. So now you have your team in place. um, And that way, you're able to help a lot more people. Correct. Correct. Because I'm able to deflect
1: a lot. And I just stay with the more problematic ones.
0: Amazing. Jeannie, thank you so much, everybody. The book is Pyre to Fire, available on Amazon and also in Spanish. And... um, uh, she is on Facebook at Jenny Milgram. Thank you so much,
1: Jenny. Thank you, you Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks again to Jeannie Milgram for stopping by. The name of her new book is Pyre to Fire. You can find it on Amazon as well as her previous books. And of course, if you want to learn more about Jeannie, you can visit her website, JeannieMilgram.com or follow her on Facebook at Jeannie Milgram. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, We're checking off for the last of the Tishrei holidays, uh, culminating, of course, with Simcha Torah. So I hope everybody has a wonderful, joyous, festive holiday. I'll see you here next time. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.